Hello, and welcome to Eagle Alpha's Profiting from Data podcast. Our podcast series focuses on the most important topics in alternative data with industry-leading experts as featured guests. Your hosts are Eagle Alpha subject matter thought leaders who lead these lively and informative discussions. Please enjoy this and all episodes of Profiting from Data. I'm delighted to be joined by Unicast, Greedy Analytics, and Shulti Rothenzabel, as usual. And what I'll do is I'll just pass over to each, working from left to right. Feel free to introduce yourselves. Kiat, we can start with you. Yeah, hi, and thank you for having me. So my name is AJ. You'll not have to deal with my real Norwegian name. I'm one of the co-founders at Unicast. I think my perspective can be interesting here because we are a tech company out of US where we have our head office. But we have product and tech and also increasing amount of customers in the EU, meaning that we have been dealing with the GDPR since May 2018 and have, through our work with telecoms in Europe, actually had to look beyond GPS and how we mainly collect data today. So perhaps I can help bridge the gap from the tactical view, what we do today and how to do that best into the more strategic view. Where are we going? How should we position ourselves for that as a data industry? Nice to meet you all. Fantastic. Thank you, KJ. Jason. Good morning, everyone. And let me just say it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much to the Eagle Alpha team to be organizing this event. My name is Jason Sarfati. I'm the Chief Privacy Officer for Gravy Analytics. Quick overview of our company. We are a fairly large location data analytics company. We specialize in aggregating location data from a variety of sources, primarily mobile devices. We are able to leverage a variety of tools that we have, usually presented via APIs or bulk data deliveries to help a variety of customers solve problems around supply chain analytics, advertising use cases, commuter patterns, basically figuring out the world around us and how people move and interact within it and providing actionable intelligence to a variety of private sector and public sector end users. Pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Uh, and Ben, I feel I'll pass over to you with a couple of new names on the call today. Yeah, no, I'm Ben Cozen. I see some familiar names on these calls. Um, great to be partnering with Jason and AJ today for what I hope is going to be a really interesting discussion. It's, it's a very timely discussion given what's recently happened in the Kochava case. And you know, I, I'm a partner in our investment management practice here. Among other things, I have a kind of a subspecialty over the last six or seven years in alternative data issues, one of which being obviously the rise and proliferation of geolocation data and the interest of our clients in using that type of data and the issues they need to consider when they are acquiring geolocation type of information. Thanks. Fantastic. Thanks all for the introductions. So yeah, just by way of introduction, and then I'll pass it over for perspectives from you all. I think the last time we held a location data workshop was back in September 2020. So this is around the time of the Weather Channel versus the City of A location data case. So I guess in this case, the Weather Channel, which is owned by IBM, was sued by the City of Los Angeles. And the argument was that the Weather Channel received permission to sell the user's personal geolocation data, but the permissions were buried in the T's and C's, essentially stating that they can take the data, sell it, but it does not specifically mention selling the data to financial services companies. I guess the point that the city of LA made here is that many other companies that track users' movement in-app, the information buried in the T's and C's, really. 
So the case against rested on informed consent, not just consent. And in the end, IBM settled the case and agreed to change its consent information. I guess aside from this, like users of geolocation data need to be aware of the legal and compliance hazards that the data presents, like personally identifiable information, which you know investment managers don't want to be in possession of. But it's also important to note that the data collected from app tracking, so like the weather channel case. And I guess the app tracking side of things is interesting from the compliance point of view, mostly because like Apple and Google treat their developers quite differently. So users need to be like aware, I guess, to these development agreements. And so bringing in the importance of data provenance. So over the past couple of years, this has changed quite a bit with Google and Apple moving to enforce greater privacy controls and also opt-in by consumers. So this informed consent is quite critical in both instances. So We'll get into all that good stuff today. So I'm going to stop speaking there. I'm going to kick off the session just by quickly passing over to both KJ and Jason, really to understand, I guess, their compliance processes, but data vendor's point of view. So I guess around data sources, the data collection process, anonymization, and really your perspective on general compliance practices on location data before we jump into the recent developments around Coachava sensitive locations, and I guess to replay data. So, Carton, I'll pass over to you. It'd be great to get more of an idea about your company's data collection and transformation processes and really what you're doing to ensure compliance. Yeah, thank you. As I opened with, I did that on purpose, is as a partly European company, we've been living with this in a stricter sense than US companies since 2018. And our role in the ecosystem, comparable to Gravy, is to source data, to structure that data, and to manage the privacy part of it, and then to recompile it into various products. We don't have to go into details on that part right now, but that means that the initial sourcing is very important for us. And what the GDPR already in 2018 pointed to, which is now coming to the US directly or indirectly, I mean directly through legislation, but indirectly through the app ecosystems, is that all data collection is going to be active opt-in. So we have built a system around that, active opt-in, not anything hidden in TNCs. And we also see now over time that actually the app ecosystems are starting to do that for us in a special regard to Apple that has built that into their own OS. And it's likely to think that Google will arrive at something similar just a bit later since they're more dependent on ad revenue than Apple, but it will come. So it starts with the information and the active opt-in, and then we have to follow the data through the whole system so that the user, when and if he or she wants to take the data out through active opt-out, the data can be easily refound, collected, and purged from the data, and then from all, all, all users of that data, meaning where it came from and where it arrived at. So the tactical usage of geolocation data, GPS mainly, but I want to expand that scope later in this conversation, but let's talk about GPS now. It's not difficult. Well, it is difficult from a technical perspective, but it's not difficult when it comes to understanding what you have to do and what you can't do. So it's more about ensuring that the players in the chain are adhering to the same rules and that you have control over the players in the chain. And we have chosen, as I said earlier, to adapt the strictest possible view of this, coming from the GDPR in Europe, but then here in the US with CCPA, just adopting that to the entirety of the US market, even though it hasn't 
been adopted all across the US, and we do expect that we will see something very similar to GDPR in the near future. So to summarize, it is active control, active relationship management over every partner in the ecosystem, both from a legal and technical viewpoint, and with the base proposition that all data should be active opt-in and that it's available for active opt-out when and if the owner of the data wants to opt-out. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much for the, um, I guess, the European EU point of view there on that as well. And Jason, if I pass it over to you from your perspective, I know you're based obviously in DC and quite US focused from like our, our previous conversations, but um, leaning on what AJ said about like, you know, the introduction of the GDPR and then how that translated over to CCPA, what perspective do you have on how Gravy Analytics is sort of approaching location data compliance and any broader sort of perspective on, I guess, the US landscape? Yeah, sure. And I think KJ did a great job there of, of summarizing the landscape, because even what's going on in Europe, frankly, applies well to the US market. I think of the gravy privacy program in particular, but as well as just our company writ large, much like a car driving down the road. And on the left side of the car are all the obligations that are being currently published by the state level legislatures so the CCPA and the Virginia privacy law just came on board. In fact, there are now nine state level privacy bills that have either already been passed and gone into effect or will be within the next year. There's only 50 states in the United States, so we will soon hit probably 50 within the next year or two. And it's always important to make sure that we honor the obligations that are in those laws. And then on the right side of the car that's driving down this metaphorical road are the expectations of our consumers as well as our business partners. So even if something is not necessarily written in the CCPA text or or any other privacy law, but it's just generally expected as a good business practice. Well, we need to honor that too. We need to make sure we have an answer to those questions. And so it becomes this balance where we don't want to exclusively focus on what's on the left side of the car, though all that stuff is important. I'll break that down further. Right now, we are entering a world where it's inappropriate to be processing location data without the affirmative express consent of consumers. You need to have clear and conspicuous notices. You need to have the ability for consumers to reach your company and opt out. So an opt out channel of sorts, you can call that choice or or informed consent. There's all these tag words. And yes, you can likely go to a certain section of a certain privacy law and find the text that actually produces that requirement. But in the end, we all know that it distills into these actionable items that a company has to execute. And KJ just just noted what they are. And so those are, again, the foundational requirements. But on the right side of the house, of course, we still need to do right by our customers and give them better answers than simply, oh, well, we're doing what the law requires. Because that's frankly, I don't think that's enough. So, for example, at Gravy Analytics, we frequently will deploy additional privacy-enhancing technologies. So, for example, we have a product that suppresses sensitive location signals, and we're going to get to that topic, I know, in a moment when when we discuss Kochava. That's not a legal requirement, but it's definitely a good PR benefit. Certainly, it touches on the Kochava issue, and I think it's something that, actually, I know it's something that our pre-existing customers are grateful for, that we already have an answer to that question. So I think just to kind of summarize it, yes, we do look at 
what the state level privacy laws are putting in. We're certainly paying attention to what will become the first draft of the federal privacy law, which I'm told will drop in the next couple of weeks. But then again, we do everything we can to have better answers just in terms of best practices as well. Very interesting. Thanks. For as long as I've been, I guess, running these these workshops and working with Ben and Peter over at uh, Schulte, Ross and Zabel, we've always talked about this state-by-state data protection legislations, knowing that like a, a federal data privacy law, data protection law is, is you know, in the works is I'm sure, quite interesting. But Ben, before we, and you can also provide the introduction to Kuchava case before we like, uh, move on, do you have any, any questions? What's been covered so far or any points? No, I mean, I think they're all really valid points. I would, you know, the thing I would just add, we represent obviously investment firms, hedge fund, private equity firms, and others who may be acquiring data. Geolocation data has historically been, I think, on the top of the list in terms of the most controversial types of data that investment managers may acquire. It really varies in terms of people's risk tolerances. I think one of the things that has held some firms back from ever using the location data is there was the the Weather Channel case, but there was a New York Times article several, almost five years ago now, that highlighted the ability of firms to track people to what we'll talk about in a few minutes, sensitive locations in their lives. And so there was a reputational component to people worrying that there'd be an article written about how hedge funds track individuals and, you know, are not only making a lot of money, but invading your privacy at the same time, that people have hesitated to explore geolocation data as a means of getting research from this information. The other thing you know, that we always look at that KJ touched on, which was really interesting to hear, is looking at everything in the chain. We, For those who have heard me and Peter speak, we always are looking at the entire chain of the information link. Where did this originate from? Did they have the right consents? Were they broad enough to allow for the usage of this data that ultimately lands in the inbox or systems of, a, of an investment manager? And so we're looking at that all the time. That seemingly has gotten a little bit better over time because while we know there's the developers agreements between Apple and Google, there's also been a lot of enhancements around consents. And we're getting more comfortable with this notion that if there are really explicit consents and data provider can demonstrate to our clients that they have the right consents at each level of the chain from the consumer, then we are definitely getting more comfortable with that. But we really need to see very clear, explicit consents around that. And then look, I mean, we do know, and Donald, you've heard me say this probably multiple times over the years, privacy is becoming part of people's brand, part of the marketing. I remember when you used to go into the Midtown Tunnel, there'd be a big billboard for Apple saying, you know, something about how privacy is is their priority or something along those lines. So they definitely use it as a marketing tool, you know, to get people encouraged to use their products over other products. But as it relates to the regulatory issues that we're thinking about for our clients, certainly MNPI, as we always talk about, is the first topic. So did you have the right consents for the information? It is material. You bought it. It's going to be non-public. And was it obtained properly? Those are the three things we're always looking at. Privacy laws and reputational risk of using this type of data are kind of the three checkboxes that our clients are trying to make sure they're comfortable with when they use this kind of data. Fantastic. Thanks for your perspective. So I guess moving from there, I got over into like recent news, and it's been brought up there once or twice around the... Concern of sensitive privacy concern and really how it relates to, I guess, location data vendors in the US, in particular, SafeGraph, Placer AI, and Coachava last summer, I guess, uh, when the US Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade case. And I guess the focus was really on sensitive locations and vendors, I guess, 
out across the geolocation market, removing these sensitive locations from their data, although the FTC have been maybe a little bit vague on this. So, Jason, if I could maybe just like start with you on this, and KJ, I know you're more EU-focused, but feel free to jump in and provide any perspective. But Jason, could you provide maybe a bit of background on the FTC focus here from last summer and maybe sort of developments in your perspective and what you're seeing as being a practitioner in the space? Sure. So we've always known that sensitive location deserved an additional layer of care and maybe additional special treatment. Again, I just want to reiterate that there is no state or federal privacy law that requires additional obligations for a sensitive location, with one major exception, and that is the state of Washington actually incidentally passed a health privacy bill last week that bans the use of geofences over healthcare locations for certain use cases, the big one being targeted advertising, as well as sending communications to devices that enter those geofences. That's the first shot across the bow of all the 50 states that have looked into the specific topic of sensitive locations. Now we actually have something on the books requiring companies, and Gravy is already well positioned to deal with that, to add an extra layer of privacy protections for sensitive locations. That's where the wind is blowing. The wind is blowing quite strongly, I'll point out, in part, of course, because of the case that the FTC has brought. But there has always been a a sort of an understanding that there are certain places in our communities that maybe we shouldn't be using for things like targeted advertising or because the risk of re-identification might be more noticeable than in other scenarios. Let me just point out, by the way, that knowing where people live is, frankly, already public knowledge. The white pages, in most cases, will just match a person's first name, last name, and their street address. So we're clearly talking about something more fundamental, right? Where someone goes and what that says about them. Good news, the Network Advertising Initiative, the NAI, actually put out a list of sensitive locations. Gravy was actually part of that conversation. And the general list tends to be healthcare locations, those locations visited primarily by children, any places that are primarily designed to cater for the LGBT community. There's a couple other governmental locations like correctional facilities, government offices, military bases, things of that nature where, you know, it might be appropriate to remove location signals from a data set if those location signals were originally collected inside those geofences. So that, again, I think will become, with time, a legal obligation. Right now, again, it's it's only in the state of Washington. But certainly, I think we are, we've entered in a world now where companies are going to say, frankly, from the, from the executive level, I don't want to be touching location data unless you can remove sensitive locations. Like, I don't think the data is, is kosher or sellable unless we enter that world. And we're there already, frankly. So we're absolutely having a a privacy conversation right now. But I think at the same time, we're frankly having a best business practice conversation. And I think, you know, if if we meet up again this time next year, there will be more laws on the books saying you got to suppress the sensitive locations, regardless of the outcome of the Coachella case. Interesting. Yeah. Before we jump into the Coachella case, KJ, I'm not sure if you find any perspective. Yeah, I just want to add to this and, and build upon the, um, the car analogy from Jason earlier. And this isn't even to the right of the car. This is the car. Like, this is the engine. And having filters for sensitive locations is something we had for, yes, since inception. So I want to 
also separate some of these topics because this is just, I don't want to be too harsh, but to allow for these types of locations to be in the data sets is bad business practice. So in addition to, and this also ties into Jason's points earlier, in addition to following what the law says at any given point, serving data that says something about kids, addictions, health, and abortions in this case is obviously not kosher, should not be part of a data company's output. So I want to be pretty strict on that comment <laughs> because this is not like about fine-tuning and understanding the law. This is about morals and what kind of products that you actually want to support. So for me, this is in a somewhat different category. And I, after having read some of the comments from these companies, they kind of agree to that and adjusted very quickly as well. So I'm just happy to see some more regulation coming along to actually catch up with some of the actual business practices that most companies have been doing here for years already. Hey, KJ, can I ask you a question? Because this comes up yeah. a lot when we talk to clients. So obviously I agree with everything you just said, just as a consumer, but also as a practitioner in this area. How are our clients supposed to get comfortable with buying data sets that if someone says, oh, I exclude all those geofences or any of those locations from my data sets, how can they get comfortable with that? Like, how do they know that that's actually true and they're not getting a bunch of stuff that they don't want, shouldn't have from as a, as a regulatory matter if there's a state law prohibiting? You should ask for a side delivery to the data feed about which location are, are omitted. Not, of course, the locations, but what, what kind of categories are omitted from the delivery. Any data company should be able to give you that so that you can actually use that as a kind of table of contents and what you're not having in your data. Definitely. Right. If like one location that hasn't been geofenced is somewhere in a huge data set, that can never be 100% guaranteed, of course. You can only remove what you know is there. But seeing that kind of list of what is actually remaining should be a prerequisite for any serious data buyer. Right. And obviously, we would want to. When we do, you know, it's our process as counsel usually is, you know, we go from the DDQ to get information to a call, you know, to articulate and have a discussion with the vendor about actually how they source their data and try and, you know, go beyond a narrative that maybe put forth in a, in a questionnaire response. And then supporting that with contract reps, right? That say, okay, look, you're not going to give us geolocation data from any of these locations or any other locations that are otherwise prohibited by applicable law. And then point to the, because that will change over time, right? Uh, as more categories might be added. So I would contractually then point to a list that is delivered weekly or monthly to you, but it's always updated instead of locking that into the contract. So it's a, it's a fluid thing, right? So you want to you wanna lock the contract into the master list that is delivered at a regular interval, which is the truth set, yeah. Fantastic. Jason, your perspective on this, do you agree? Um, this sort of approach? Well, for starters, as the saying goes, the customer is always right. But we have been solving the problem by adding reps and warranties to our contracts where desired to state that we will make reasonable best efforts to suppress sensitive locations. Like KJ said a second ago, it is impossible to catch everything. There is no magic wand. I don't think we'll ever get to a place where there's a technical solution to geofence every possible sensitive location. And then again, the definition of sensitive locations is also a moving target. But again, the way we've been handling it is just going to the 
definition of sensitive locations that the NAI have put out. We've adopted that. We've consistently update our geofences on a rolling basis. We have in-house cartographers that do a lot of that work. And that's information that comes out during these DDQ sessions and these calls. And eventually the customer gets comfortable enough. Okay. Clearly, this vendor is is putting in a best effort, and I can't speak for the FTC or a state-level regulator, but if they see a reasonable best efforts to suppress locations, if they see a geofence library, if they see in-house cartography team really trying to, to suppress those locations, and one geofence happens to get missed, okay, I don't think they're going to prosecute a case on that basis, right? I think they're likely instead to go after a company that's just not doing anything at all, so... I think if you add all those layers, you should be okay and be able to mitigate the privacy risk. And let me just also point out, like, I know this is not what this webinar is on, but there's immense value in location data. A lot of, Ben, your customers and clients rather, need to process and buy location data. Otherwise, internal functions within the companies are not going to work. So they still need to consume it. They just need to figure out a way to consume it in a more clean and responsible manner. You mentioned there, like, you obviously can't speak on behalf of the FTC, but I guess the whole sense of location definition, as I just mentioned, the moving target a bit up in the air. I guess even though, like, some of these vendors, like Kachava, removing 2.4 million sense of locations, but like not having the exact definition. And then the Axon case, I guess, was active recently. Like, do you have any background perspective on the Axon case, maybe impact on this or? I guess, the way in which this case is moving with Coachava and FTC? So, well, fresh off the press on Friday, so what, three days ago, the judge in Idaho ruled that Coachava had sufficiently challenged the complaint that the FTC had filed. The judge granted Coachava's motion to dismiss, although the FTC now has 30 days to refile their complaint. One of the big fundamental problems, let me just take a step back. In order to prove a Section 5 claim under the FTC, there's two routes to go. You can either claim that a trade practice is deceptive, in other words, that you are deceiving or lying to consumers, or that it's unfair. And the FTC has gone the unfairness route. And in order to prove unfairness, you have to prove there's three elements, a substantial consumer injury. That's number one. Number two, that's not reasonably avoidable by consumers. And then number three, that is not outweighed by benefits to consumers or to open and fair competition. And the FTC has got to win on all three of those factors. Now, items two and three, the judge didn't really dive into too much, again, because we're still pre-discovery on these motions. But item number one, a substantial consumer injury, the judge felt, you know what, the FTC hadn't alleged sufficient facts to prove that case. So they got to go back to the drawing board for the next 30 days, actually, at, the, at this point, we're at probably at day 27, and figure out how to identify matching a mobile advertiser ID plus a lat long to a sensitive location results in a substantial consumer injury. That's not my business to comment on whether or not the FTC will be successful in proving that up, nor is it appropriate for me to state whether or not Cochaba will ultimately prevail in blocking the FTC from proving out that case. But I will say what, I think anybody who is monitoring this area should take time out of their day to read the order because the judge does seem fairly skeptical, the FTC's claims. But regardless, again, of the outcome of that case, though I do think it's one that should be monitored, I think at this point, 
most companies out there that process location data, certainly the customers, are looking at this case and they just don't want to have a sensitive location problem on their hand. So that's where I think companies like Unicast and, and Gravy are well positioned to say, hey, we're going to offer up a technical solution to this issue, therefore preventing any potential claim hitting either the vendor or the, the, the buyer. I think that's the answer. And it's just good business ethics too, right? These are sensitive locations, no matter what the law. They, they are. They are sensitive locations by definition. Yeah, and I, I don't think this decision has any impact on how an investment manager is going to evaluate geolocation data as a risk. Because, it, first of all, as you just noted, there's 30 days for them to see if they can amend their complaint to effectively have more specificity on the nature of the damage and harm that was caused. But second of all, the motion to dismiss is if, it, if, it, if they're not successful and they can't plead with more specificity, that's not going to suddenly say to people, oh, well, now geolocation information is totally clean. I can go and, and use it with reckless abandonment. That's just, you know, we still have all these other issues of that where we need to be comfortable that the consents from the consumers were properly obtained and sufficiently broad to allow the aggregation of that information and the further dissemination of that information for for commercial purpose. We can't just rely on, on an FTC acting or an FTC decision by a judge in Idaho. That's just not going to be where we where we advise clients that this is the basis for using or not using geolocation data. Thank you. So we've about just over five minutes left. Just want to remind attendees to, if you have any questions for the panel on this subject, feel free to drop it into the Q&A section. We'll pose it to the panel. I guess, Jason, you, you had mentioned the you know the upcoming federal privacy law. Curious if there is uh, any, I guess, interesting perspectives from the US on this. I know CCPA or California were sort of pushing back against that at one stage. If this is come to fruition, are there any sort of timelines or any thoughts around that? Sure. So every year at New Year's Eve, I wake up the next morning and I say to myself, what are the odds this year of a federal privacy law being passed. And I've never answered that question at higher than 10%. And I'm still going to say this year at 10%, if not actually lower than 10%. The problem here is that there are so many hoops that need to be cleared in order to pass a comprehensive federal privacy. So right now, the House Energy and Commerce Committee is picking up the pen from where they left last year. So last year, there was the ADPPA, the American Data Protection and Privacy Act. Who knows what they call this year's bill? It, it could be the same name. They might change it. There are items in there, particularly around data minimization that would impact location data, that would frankly be incongruent with a lot of current business practices, and it would just have a, a severely negative impact on just the general digital economy. And a lot of folks are going to push back against the, the text of the ADPPA, given that there was just too many issues with it last year. And I'm not even beginning to touch on preemption issues, private right of action, all those other structural problems. Oh, and by the way, that's just the House Energy and Commerce Committee. There's still a Senate. They have competing interests and a different party in power. And Overall, again, I don't believe that we're going to have a federal privacy law anytime soon. Even if, my friends, this bill exits the committee, I don't view that as any closer to the finish line. You've just frankly taken one step on what is truthfully a marathon. So 
That basically means companies just go back to the drawing board, look at the states. There's a lot of action going on there now. Pay attention to the headlines, but I, I, I'm not making any business decisions and I wouldn't recommend anyone start changing their current course of action based upon bill that you see in the text of a federal privacy bill law. That just, I don't view that as, as conducive to the way the world is right now. I'd have two comments to add to that, Jason. One, I think certainly in the in the near term, I mean, in the next three to six months, that seems like any federal privacy law, any law for the most part seems highly unlikely. In the very near term, we have, you know, we have the debt ceiling issues, which are going to paralyze both House of Congress for the next three to six weeks. And then more long term, it's just we just don't have a Congress that seems to be able to accomplish that much in any meaningful timeline, given where the, the executive branch is versus the House and Senate. And then I think the other comment to make about that is even if we do get a federal privacy law, there may be preemption, but that doesn't necessarily mean that states can't be stricter per se than than what federal government minimally mandates. They want to have things that are more rigid than what the government, federal government, federal law says that that is a possibility subject to the natural preemption issues. But so it's, it's I don't know, we would hope if we do get one that it does, you know, that states back off from this and let folks rely on federal law, but that's not necessarily guaranteed. Can I offer some perspective here at the end to zoom out a little bit? So we can talk about when there's going to be a federal law, how the states are going to adjust individually or collectively, and how the FTC is going to strike down sensitive locations and when. And we can have good arguments for why this will be later instead of sooner. But I think what we are seeing, if we collect all these signals, and look at trends, is that we are moving towards a world that is more privacy safe. And that will indirectly touch the platform owners. Apple is already there. Google is going there. What is that going to lead to? Less collected GPS data. That is just a fact. We can discuss when and how this will kind of hit some kind of critical mass in a negative sense, but there will be less GPS data available. So my proposition is that we also, and perhaps it's due to my DNA as a founder, it's about what is next. And what is next, I think, is two things. One is it's going to be a tapestry of data, not singular, not a massive source that is determining the product. It's going to be a combination of transaction data, GPS data, connected cars, Wi-Fi, IP, all of them having different views, understanding the real world, and together actually being better than the singular GPS source. GPS as a standalone source is going away. The second, I think more importantly, I think data processing is going to be moved from data brokers to the data owner. So the processing of the data will happen where the data is collected and aggregates will be created at that level and then passed on to the various users. Aggregates that are predetermined to the end user case, but that the individual collected data does not leave the server over data was originally collected. And that is all going to open up immensely interesting space where we have all this exciting data from different sources that are not connected to the individually collected data, but compile and recompile to create different views of the world that is totally disconnected from the individual and original movement. And I get excited thinking about that perspective. And all of these legal changes, all of these cases that I've been discussing here, collectively are moving the industry to that space. And for that, I am very optimistic and very grateful. 
On that point, appreciate that, KJ. I think we're just on time. So I want to say thank you so much for the interesting conversation and perspective, KJ, Jason, and Ben. Really appreciate your time today. And I hope everyone who joined us also enjoyed the conversation and often can reach out directly to me or directly to KJ and Jason and Ben. But yes, guys, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.